From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. This is Big C. Thank you very much, Shaggy. We are here. It is Off the Record. It's episode 110. We have special guests here, of course. Always have special guests. Everyone's special on this uh, podcast. From down under, not sounding like a Dalek, as you did earlier on before we came on air, which we managed to sort out. Austin Dunmore, singer, songwriter, guitarist, and um, shorter hair, I think, unless it's all tied up the back somewhere. Getting shorter all the time. Uh, good to be back, Big C. Yeah, Austin Dunmore. Uh, yes, thank you for, thanks for coming on. And Pete, you, you're back. After, I am. Uh, this is very true. After, uh, a week, a week off. You were you here last week? I can't remember now. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. No idea where I was, but I no, yeah. no. We had where Jeff Stritch on. We had uh, Jeff Stritch on. We were doing nineties. Yes, well, well, a good enough reason not to be here, obviously. Well, that's what yeah. I thought. You hate nineties. Catastrophe. Remember of the nineties. It was oh, quite, yes. amusing. quite amusing. In fact, that Jeff, we were doing nineties singles, and the first two he came out. The first one was from nineteen eighty-four. And the second one was from 2002. So songs from the 70s, sorry, songs from the 90s that, that could be in any other decade. We, Sounds did, reasonable. We did start by saying he didn't like the 90s anyway. Maybe that's why. I don't know. You would have probably done exactly the same. You would have probably done exactly the same and, and thrown in some yes from the 70s when we were doing the 90s show. <laughs> anyway, we are talking singles and we are talking, there's a number of years that we haven't covered on the show so far. And some of them I'm astounded by. I'm, and this was one of them. I look back at all of them and say, no, we haven't done. We've done albums, I think. Um, but we haven't done singles from the year 1977. Okay. Uh, a good year for me personally in terms of music. A lot of new wavy stuff coming around in the 70s, late 70s, in 77 in particular. I bought a lot of singles in the 70s. Some small wonder records in Host Street in Walthamstow. I don't really knew that one, uh, Pete. Um, no, I don't think so. I know it. Okay, next to the Granada cinema. Oh, I think the just around the corner Granada. from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Austin, well, and or Pete, but Austin first, 1977, decent year or not? I love it. Um, I think it's, uh, it's uh, really kind of the, um, the, the peak of, like, the pop rock cultures uh like hits era um for whatever reason like maybe uh the um the craft of 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 you know rock songwriting and arranging and recording had just uh ripened to that point uh radio like the combination of factors uh when i was building my vinyl or rebuilding my vinyl collection um i decided to uh include singles uh, as a focus and uh when i kind of assembled my core collection 77 78 were uh were, were two of the biggest years for for singles so um i don't know whether that means that uh album quality had dropped off or uh people were just focusing more on having that really big hit i'm not really sure what it is um but uh yeah i've got a really big collection of s- singles from 1977 yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. I think albums did probably tail off a little bit. Did they? They're real 
pomp was in the early 70s for sure, as we've discussed on many occasions. Maybe it faded a little bit in the late 70s. Your view on that stinks? Well, um, 1977 was a great year for music. I don't think it was a classic. I think that that was, as we've said many times earlier in the 70s, peaking in 75 and 76. Um, But I have got a list of 29, and I left off another 15 that I could easily have added on. Um, I think for me, and, you know, we've talked about this before because it was kind of like when disco started and there was a lot of pretty decent pop-ish records as well, and as Austin said, kind of pop rock. Um, So I've, for my 10 or 11, I've chosen all... Or 29. No, I've left. It, uh, I've chosen all rock stuff, but I could have easily had a list which was no rock at all, um, and still thoroughly enjoy it. So I think it. I think it was a good season for singles. Although, if I look at my singles collection, I would discover not a single one from 1977. So you know, that's. Uh, Make of that what we will. Well, make of it that I don't buy singles and uh, would rather spend money on an album. So, This is true. I think everything was a little bit shorter and choppier and a lot of the independent labels were starting up and bands wanted to start recording, play the guitar, not particularly well, sing, not particularly well, but they were at least trying. A lot of them started and that's how it all, and that's how it all began. Uh, the, the punk and the new wave, I guess. Um, there may be one or two of those in my list as we get through the evening. But first of all, Austin, throw us your first song. 1977 singles. Are they in any order or just random? Uh, yeah, uh, they they are in. They're in my order, my sorting order, which is uh, by uh, uh, artist uh, alphabetical. Um, okay. So uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my selection criteria. Um, yeah. Uh, there are pretty much five blockbuster albums from 77 uh, in, in my view. I think uh, uh, Twitter uh, personality Jen TX uh, uh, had a, a focus on 1977 a, a week or two back where she pointed out um, or highlighted these albums. Uh, Steely Dan's Asia. Uh, Billy Joel, The Stranger, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, and the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. So they were, all of them, absolute blockbuster albums. Um, I think maybe 1977 might have invented the the word blockbuster uh, with, uh, with the release of Star missed, Wars. You've missed one major blockbuster off there. I was certain that was going to be on your list. There's a sixth one. Uh, oh, you better pick uh, pick me up on it then. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just given your, given what you like. I mean, Hotel California is 1977. Well, technically, that's the album was released at the end of '76, I believe. Yeah, I, not, I hope to disappoint you. So but the, it, it the, probably the singles, was a mass, massive hit. Yeah, yeah, and the singles, uh, I think, uh, came out. Most of them came out in '77. Yeah, they did, the and album. that's when I saw yeah. them, and that's, that's the tour I saw them. That's uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, the tail end of '76. Uh, what a so what a time incredible time really yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's definitely uh that's in blockbuster territory too so did i select a single from all of those uh all of those albums you know what i couldn't fit them into my 10 
So uh, there's um, uh, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on, which I'll I'll, I'll talk about as uh, as we get through the list. My first selection is uh, the babies, isn't it time? Blimey. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they're one of a bunch of uh, bands that were starting to ape Led Zeppelin sound uh, in in at least the drum department like they've got like just big boomy really kind of powerhouse drums if you listen to i think it's uh the second album um uh, broken heart which is what this song's off and uh, and the follow-up album head first uh just extraordinary drum sounds and i i think the the reason this one's in the list is it's it, it's got a great chord progression um, just that weird kind of um, uh, like a substitute chord kind of thing going on in the just in in the very uh, very first um, uh, section there, um, and it's got strings, it's got female backing vocalists, or yeah, that's what they are. So, um, and uh, like it's it's just a huge production and it's the sort of thing that you wouldn't get um in the 80s even um or 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 any time that that kind of craft just disappeared um and and i i just think it's a a, a magic song and they didn't even really do anything else like it on the album or they they tried to kind of repeat the trick um with every time i think of you from the the uh, following year's album but uh it wasn't quite as good a song this is but for me uh peak babies that's it was that john waits band wasn't it that's john waits band yeah well when i say his band he was the lead singer presumably um yeah strange isn't it it wasn't wasn't a hit here what he i suppose it was minor um i notice that it it was a big number one in australia uh us 13 here is their only charting single, believe it or not, and it only made number 45. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. I always find it fascinating. <laughs> I always think between the, the UK and, and America, but obviously Australia too, it's very different, aren't they? The, the tastes, um, obviously they were quite big in the States as well. They had a few hits. And he had some solo hits after, didn't he? And another yeah, band. Yeah, that's yeah. Did he have missing band? you. Uh, missing yeah, you was, was a big solo uh, yeah, hit. Uh, bad English. Bad English. Bad English yeah. yeah, it's another band of his. Well, that, okay. that's kind of the nature of, of of the show here, isn't it? That uh, that that we're going to bring focus on things that were obscure and and no doubt uh, ignore or you know uh, impugn <laughs> some things that were popular. Nobody's going to talk about Robin Gibbs shadow dancing on this program. I hope. Uh, Dan crosses off list. Crosses off the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing I, against Andy Gibb. I uh, I saw the babies live. Of course you did. Pete. They were. You've seen everyone live. No, but they were way down the card somewhere. Like I think they were at Reading, or maybe they were at some thing in London, and they were kind of like first act on or something with someone else. I've definitely seen them, but and that would have been 1977. Or maybe seventy-eight. So, um, but I don't know much about them. <clears throat> and I certainly, okay. 
if I heard that song, I'd know it, but I couldn't hum it off the top of my head. So. I look forward to programming it on the playlist for you. Yeah, uh, please, please do. Uh, feel free. Right then, Pete, go on in. Um, I haven't done mine in order because, as I say, I had 29 on my list and I just kind of at random went, yeah, let's talk about that one. So uh, these are not these are not in any order at all. Um, my first one is Lido Shuffle by Boz Skaggs. Boz Skaggs, yeah. I absolutely love Silk Degrees. I think it's a magnificent album. There isn't... There isn't a duff track on it, never mind a duff, uh, sorry, a duff notes, never mind a duff track. And I think just of, of its genre, which I would describe as easy listening rock, um, it's pretty well, pretty well peerless. And, um, I know, you know, it's, it's an album which I, I don't, I never bought it at the time. Um, but, um, when I started harvesting my collection of CDs, it was one of the first ones I got. Um, and it's an album that I play a lot. But I, um, is this the standout track? Yes, it probably is. But there's um, there's several others as well. But I just I don't know how how where did it get to in the UK charts? Was it about top ten? I should think. Thirteen. Thirteen. Huh? Right. Yes, okay. he had. Um, uh, it was in January. Another track called. What can I say? Yeah, what can I say? That's also on, that's on Silk Degrees as well. Number ten, and October seventy six. I don't know whether or not that was before it's uh, before Silk Degrees Lowdown. No, that's on Silk Degrees as well. All three of them. Oh, well, there you go. And one other yeah. song in December seventy seven, which was Hollywood. Is that on Silk Degrees as well? No, no that's on the next one. Okay, that's on the follow up. Um, but have you got the album, Austin? Oh, absolutely. That was one of the first things that I hunted down too. Yeah, it's the band members of Toto. How could you not? Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, it's just it's just a terrific album, isn't it? I mean, it's it's you, it, the musicians the musicianship is so good. He's just got a voice that you could listen to all day because it's it's not it's not one of Rock's great voices. It's but it is unique and it kind of it's very it's very easy to listen to. And it, that whole album is one of those albums, especially in the summer. You shove it in the car stereo and it just makes you happy. It's just it's yeah. just one of those albums. Boss Skaggs like exudes uh, style. Like yeah, he he, does. he's a he's a stylish cat. Uh, and he uh, my brother got the uh, the the remastered CD reissue whatever and it had the liner yeah. notes of course. And, yeah, that, 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 that's he, the one I've got. So if you read in the liner notes, there's something in it along the lines of he likened the uh, the recording experience uh, to like uh, um, uh, uh, getting in and uh, behind the wheel of a Lamborghini, uh, like it just uh, like having having that world class recording studio and, and world class you know, personnel uh, yeah. to, to drive his uh, uh, you know uh, well yeah. Who's who's doing the driving? But help push the uh, the, the the whole project forward. His yeah. his music, but it's and, uh, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. That that kind of uh, uh, magical experience, you know, uh, we we now kind of uh, realize was lightning in a bottle. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I must admit, I love Lido Shuffle, and it, it was on my huge list, but. <laughs> It didn't get it didn't get to the final list, which we'll come on to, I'm sure. I'm just reading about Lido Shuffle. Uh, Skaggs was calling, uh, recalling. Sorry, um, it was just a song that I'd been banging around 
I took the idea of the shuffle from a song that Fats Domino did called The Fat Man. That's a good song yep. as well. One of his first songs recorded, I think, that had a kind of driving shuffle, shuffle beat that I used to play on the piano. And I just started kind of singing along with it. Uh, and they, uh, then he showed it to Paige. That's David Page, the producer, I guess. And he helped uh, me fill it out. It ended up uh, being a shuffle. David Page is the keyboard player for, uh, for Toto. Toto. He's, yeah. It's his voice you hear on um, the, the verses in Africa. That's David Page. All oh, right, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Songwriter, he wrote, co-wrote it yes. with Boz Cags. It's um, it's I'm Page reading. and um, Jeff Picaro, isn't it? That's right, and and I think uh, David bass, Hungate yeah. on bass. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Right, come on then, Austin. Give us another one. I'll come on to any yeah. of mine. Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Um, this next selection is another one that I have a sneaky suspicion was a uh, a. Big hit in Australia and probably not so much in the rest of the world. We uh, we were funny like that. Um, so it's uh, it, it, it's really the first thing that we heard of Graham Bonnet. Uh, I think uh, you lot heard him in the Marbles. And, Marbles, uh, yeah, only one woman. Okay, right. Um, I, I don't ever remember anything like that. Uh, what we got was this uh i actually got this in the in the mail just uh yesterday or the day before um it's got the um that what is it they, they call that the uh the injection label or whatever we we never yeah, had those, one's you know. not stuck on yeah extruded yeah it's all over now baby blue it's the bob, baby blue. The, uh, the bob dylan cover and dylan. yeah it, it really just uh shows off uh graham bonnet's uh, extraordinary voice. He's he's got one of those real, you know, power vocal male vocals. Um, not not quite Tom Jones, but um, but definitely leather longs. Um, and well, I, I just love. No, I was just to say you don't get a gig with uh, Rainbow unless you have, do you? Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Um, and yeah, I, I love the arrangement. Uh, it's got slide guitars. Uh, it's got. Uh, Twelve string acoustics. It's uh, it just got. It's packed with hooks in the in, in the in the arrangement. Uh, it's just so, lots of ear candy and that and that wonderful voice belting out a, a great lyric. Yeah, very very that, pithy, um, poetic. Don't Manfred Man's Earth Man do a version of that as well on their first album? I think yes, nineteen seventy three. That's um, right. Yes, on Glorified Magnified. No. Uh, Record World called that version a fine treatment. It is indeed one of my favorites. Graham Bonnet recorded the cover version of the song in 77, which entered the Australian Top 100 chart. In August, it peaked at number three there you in go. November 77. I, I, I had no idea where it was, but yeah, it was all over radio. It was all over Australian radio. It spent six months in the chart and nearly two months in the top 10. That's probably why you couldn't get it out of your head. But yeah, I remember him in uh, The Marbles. Even at the time, I remember the song by The Marbles. And he, he didn't make number one. I think it was top three, only one woman. Um, but yeah, very powerful ballad. You remember it? No, don't remember it? No, no, no. I mean, I love Graham Bonnet's voice. I, I, I like Such a high voice he's got. Great voice he's got, Graham Bonnet. Talking of great voices, Pete. <laughs> what a marvellous segue. 
Um, okay, well, um, I, so my next one, I'm choosing one of two from the same band uh, this year. Both were massive hits. Well, sorry, in my mind, they were massive hits. They may have just kind of swum around the lower reaches, but they seem to be on the radio all the time. Um, so the one I've chosen is uh, Cold as Ice by Foreigner. And um, there was also uh, Feels Like the First Time, which was equally good but i plumped for cold as ice foreigner for me are the perfect i don't want to use the word manufactured band but i think some bands are organic so like zeppelin are zeppelin because they kind of all kind of grew together and worked together and and it doesn't all of those the, the great bands from the late 60s and 70s they kind of came through together into being what they became foreigner just hit the ground running with that first album and those first singles. And then when you look at the personnel and you look at the talent, the songwriting talent, and they were also very much, I think, um, I don't know whether they played on it, but they they kind of were very much an Anglo-American band as well, and I think that really worked. So that mixture of 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 songwriting sensibilities and musical histories came together in what just became i mean they just wrote perfect rock songs you know there there isn't there's hardly a foreigner i mean i've got the foreigner greatest hits album it on cd and every single track is a sing-along you know you put it in the car you drive 100 miles 200 miles and you just sing to every single song on that album they just i mean they just they were just perfect rock songs um, so it was it was just a toss up between cold as ice and feels like the first time. But I kind of like the words of cold as ice because um, they remind me of a girl I went out with once. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a yeah fantastic. Was it the, same, musician. the same songwriters for all their songs was it Lou Graham and yeah, it, well it was for the first okay. few albums. All right, okay. It was well, the uh, the, the Band leaders Mick Jones, who, uh, who who'd already had a run around the block with Spooky Tooth. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it, yeah. But it was Mick Jones and Lou Graham. They were the kind of driving forces of of the band, weren't they? But they were just they were brilliant musicians. They just wrote damn good songs. I mean, you know, jukebox hero, and they just they were you know brilliant songs. Strangely, surprisingly, Cold as Ice. Um, if we want the record of these things, got to only number twenty four. Here in the really? UK. Yep. Well, what do you feels like the first time, do? Uh, that I'd have to check. I'm just looking. Australia only made 32, Cold as Ice, and US number six. Well, it's really weird. Like, that, that, that music, like, I mean, it seemed um, to be on the radio all the time. I think it's yeah, one of those uh, ones that was a bit of a slow burn. Uh, like mm-hmm. it had its uh, initial run before uh, anybody really knew because it was such a like a, a different sound too yeah, like it was. it was it was sophisticated you've got piano and organ and i think there's like a synth maybe a moog or something yeah. like there's like there's lots of stuff going on there's the breakdown it's uh you know there's there's a little bit of a kind of classical minor key kind of thing going on which was unusual like it's it's everything about it is sophisticated and yeah. uh there there really wasn't you can say there wasn't anything like it, you know. Well, no, there wasn't. The, there wasn't at the time. Now, if you listen to Foreigner and then you listen to bands like FM, 
then you'd say, well, they come from the same school. But you but yeah. you didn't have that then. They were they were ahead of the curve. Yeah. And they're kind of lumped in with the uh, AOR bands by a lot of people now in retrospective. Which is unfair. Nothing, they're, they're nothing, nothing like, like Sticks. They're nothing like no, Ario Speedwagon. They're no, nothing like Journey. No, they're not. And, and I like all those bands, but they're not the same. That Which is why I say because 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 um, Journey and Sticks and Ario Speed Hatchet, they basically all sound very American, whereas Foreigner don't. They sound unique. They've got they've got that English sound, but with that American FM radio, and I and I think they deserve to stand alone. And maybe that's why they didn't chart. Maybe that's because they were a slow burn because people couldn't pigeonhole them. They couldn't. They didn't decide where they sat. But all power to them for that. They were you asking about feels like the first time actually did worse everywhere. Uh, oh no, in America that made number four, which I think was two places higher than Cold as I. Australia only forty one, UK only thirty nine. For feels like the first time. So, which was the big hit then? Urgent from that album. That yeah, um, definitely. And and uh, jukebox hero and urgent yeah, in jukebox their career. Hero and, yeah. urgent. and 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 I want to know what love is. Oh, I want to know what love is. That's yeah, well, that's that be one of those examples of a of a song that hardcore fans, I'm sure, would say is probably one of their worst songs. I'm yeah. guessing. I mean, I like it, but it's, you know, it's a bit like, um, oh, there are so many. We can't go down that route. Uh, we could have another show on that, really. Uh, bands that, those, whose biggest hits are probably their worst songs. Stevie Wonder comes to mind. I think I just called Say I Love You, probably not a classic. It's all right. It's not a classic, but, you know, all the stuff in the 70s, good grief. Um Anyway, uh, and what was looking at Foreigner, they have had actually their biggest hit, apart from I Want to Know What Love Is, was Waiting for a Girl Like You. Oh, yeah, another, that's another one. A ballad, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. also made the top 10. Yeah. Urgent, only, yeah, none of the others. They're the only oh, two. No, but, but that makes ending. sense. Waiting for, that waiting for a Girl Like You, I've forgotten. That's, that would have been that would have been the big hit. There's yeah. a good song. Right, okay. Um, Right, come on then. Let's have another couple from you. Maybe I'll throw one or two in myself after. Yeah, so, I think I'll I'll be stealing uh, Colin's thunder here with this one. Uh, Electric Light Orchestra, Turn to Stone. Okay. So yeah, um, out of the was out of the blue a big album. I don't I don't think yes. it was quite. Uh, well, maybe it maybe it was, and I'm just um, uh, rewriting history here, but. Um, <laughs> Like I don't think it's 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 I don't think it's as fondly remembered as say rumors, which um, probably gets uh, gets more attention than it deserves now. <laughs> but you know, that's, you we're talking we're talking about Electric Light Orchestra here. Jeff mm. Lynne at this point was uh, like he he'd had his uh, his big hit in '75 with Evil Woman, and and that basically just gave him carte blanche to to do whatever he wanted, and like he was. Uh, writing songs as fast as he could record them or the other way around. I'm not sure which, but um, uh, basically uh, the tap was on full bore. And, uh, and uh, so a new world record came out and then out of the blue following year, a double album, like that is a lot of material. And he is the, you know, he's, he, he is electric light orchestra um, in terms of the, the, uh, the, the vision and the creativity. Um, 
I think we can say, um, looking in from the outside. Uh, yeah, Turn to Stone, it's uh, like it, it's, yeah, it, it's in swing time. It's got uh, that um, uh, synthesized, it's not a vocoder. I was going to look it up. Um, that, uh, the, the, the synthesized vocal kind of thing going on um, that Earth, Wind and Fire and a bunch of others used as well. Uh, 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 wings on Good Night Tonight, uh, getting into the uh, the studio trickery. Um, but uh, there's that also that breakdown in the middle uh, that that I like. I, I love kind of it's is it singing? Uh, I'm, I'm turning to stone because you yeah. ain't coming home. Why ain't you coming home if I'm turning to stone? You've been gone for so long <laughs> yeah. and I can't carry on. And it's just like it's it's um, it's just hilarious. It's vocals, really. isn't it? It's vocals a bit, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I think at one point they're harmonising a diminished chord, and yeah, it, it's it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's very very clever, um, and it deserves every bit of the success it got. And it was the first single off of um, Out of the Blue. They had a stack yeah. of them released. Actually, it was a big album. The album overall only got to number four here in the UK, um, but. Whether that was higher than uh, elsewhere, I don't really know. I can look. Actually, Australia, three, and USA, four as well. Um, but, yeah, because they had um, the classics after that. Mr. He could do nothing wrong, really, in my yeah. eyes, Jeff Lynn. Yeah. Mr. Blue Skies, Sweet Talking Woman, yeah. uh, Wild was, West was Hero, Mi- I loved as a single as well. Was Mr. Blue Sky a big hit at the time? Because it's, like, by far yeah. the biggest. Yeah. Okay. Because, like. In terms of streaming, yeah, they're um like their Spotify numbers, uh, like Mister Blue Sky is like, you know, up in the billions. Well, that's because uh, it's been used for. Was it used in an advert or it was used in a film? It, it, it like the new the, this generation Z, they know it because it was used for something. That's yeah. that's one of the reasons why um it, it's got so many listens. I can't remember what it was used for. They had three consecutive singles. Turn to Stone only made the top 20, but it wasn't as high as the following three singles, which were Mr. Blue Sky, um, Wild, West, Wild West Hero, and Sweet Talking Woman. They all made six. I don't know whether the wow. 666 was supposed to signify anything. I don't really know, but um, it How was a, a bit of a sequence, three sixes. And I think there was another single released in the States. Um Starlight was it? Maybe it wasn't Starlight. Uh, I can look the track up. It's over. I think that was really single in the states, but it was it was a fairly big hit here. But yeah, you're while we're on ELO, then I did go for ELO, but I did an overhang from a New World Record because the single Telephone Line right, from so. a New World Record was released in May 77, and I just love that. It was the final single release from that album. Um, It was their biggest US success at that point. Um, What else? Yeah, it got to number eight in the chart, USA, number seven, Australia, 10. So it was across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just love it. It's like a miniature symphony. But then again, so many of his songs are, are they not? But that telephone line, I put one of mine in anyway. Genius. 
Uh, for me, yeah. that's genius. You know, he, he didn't call his band the Electric Light Orchestra for no reason. You know, it did. It had that orchestral symphonic sensibility about it. That's I think that's what made ELO ELO, and he was brilliant at it. It was very Beatley, wasn't it? It's was almost like um, almost like a Lennon McCartney composition that that sort of never was. What telephone line? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Mind you, a lot of your songs do sound very Beatley. Evoking a bit of revolver, perhaps. But anyway, enough. Telephone line. Okay. I had to go for the ELO, but I went for telephone line. I've got that in, which which means, unless you have anything to say about telephone line, uh, Austin. We'll- uh, brilliant song, but uh, yep. but no, go on. Go for Turnstone. We'll go for Pete then. What you got next? Well, I've got a song which I, in my personal opinion, is the greatest thing that this particular songwriter ever wrote. You're going to disagree with me because he's your favourite songwriter. I know who it is. I've gone with Maybe I'm Amazed by Macker and Wings. And I think that is head and shoulders the best thing McCartney ever did. And I absolutely love it to death. I think it's, I've got the, um, I've got McCartney's The Greatest Hits big grey double album thing with everything on, on vinyl. And that's the track that I play. There's grooves in that one where there isn't on most of the others. I just think it's absolutely perfect. It's a brilliant rock song. Um, and when I realised it was 1977, I thought, well, that's an easy pick. And I don't think that Colin's going to argue with me for once. So, I, As if yeah, I ever yeah. argue with you, sir. As if I ever okay. argue with you. You are right. Maybe I'm amazed. I would – I mean, I've done many of these – things on twitter when i've done through like the top 20 top 30 top 50 even top 100 some artists end up with the number one and mccartney solo i would certainly have that as number one uh here's the original version of it in 71 but in, in yeah no 70 sorry was it 70 or 71 yeah, it's the live it's the live version, so, yeah, live off, version off, from yeah wing, wings, wings over, over america. america yeah yeah yeah, yeah. triple album wasn't it? You, you've got the album then pete yeah or just I've, I've I've got whatever no I've got whatever the greatest hits album's called it's grey and it's got lots of little pictures on it I can't I don't remember okay yeah all right. Paul, McCart- and Paul McCartney all the best I think could be yeah yeah, yeah. could be yeah but anyway yeah. it's I mean it it's a pretty it's got all it's got all the classics on but I just but I just think I don't know why I love it as much as I do but I, I think maybe it's because it, because it, his voice is much throatier. It's it's kind of it's more rocky than ballady. You know, you know the stuff of his. I can't stand like bloody Mullikintyre and all that sort of stuff. So this is this is absolutely the antithesis of that. It's a proper rock song played by yeah a proper rock band, and and I love it. I think it's brilliant. And no bagpipes to be and seen. And no bagpipes. Anywhere. Thank the good <laughs> Always Lord. Always a plus, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he still performs it live, and of course, and still plays it in exactly the same key. And you think he's never going to make those notes, is he? But he kind of does. Yeah, but, uh, that's, close that's close enough for a bloke in his nineties. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Bless his little cotton socks. Bless his little. Well, yeah. Okay, I agree. Maybe I'm a most great song. I didn't include it in my list, probably because I'm. Well, it was. It wasn't released as a single. Actually, the, the studio version. But I do love that version on his first album McCartney you can't go on with a live version of it too because I know you love live stuff anyway I do. Uh, Austin next for you 
Thank you. I feel like I've been waiting for, you know, months and months and months for the excuse to talk about this particular song. Um, <laughs> waiting for, for Colin to choose 1977 as uh, uh, as the... Uh, the, the subject matter for uh, for one and of these. And the time zone change as well. Yeah, yeah. Waiting and waiting for Brian Ferry's "This Is Tomorrow." Mm. Now, I don't even I don't even know if it was a big hit here. I don't know if it was a big hit anywhere else. Uh, I think it was kind of obscure. Uh, and it's one it of those. Was a hit. Yeah, it's one of those things that kind of crept into my consciousness. Like I kind of. I kind of liked Brian Ferry as a teenager, but I, like I certainly didn't understand him uh, because um, there, there's certainly lots of stuff from Roxy Music, both early Roxy Music and late Roxy Music, that um, I detested or like I just didn't get at all. Um, and even today, a lot of it I can still take or leave. So uh, it was a it was a very uh, enigmatic. Um, personality uh for me but I, I like i still ended up with the best of the the white cover um in in my album collection uh from my teenage years um and this and a couple of others like he when, when he does rock he really goes for it and um and this is a thrill to hear on vinyl because the drummer is just uh absolutely like pounding and and you can just hear the like the like the frantic energy of the the whole arrangement. Uh, Chris Betting on guitar plays this crazy guitar solo. The uh, the the horn section is drowning out the vocal. Um, it, it's almost as if in the mix that the vocal is simply another instrument. He doesn't even care if uh, people can make out the lyrics or not. Uh, female backing harmonies in uh, in the chorus. Uh, and it's. And it's packed with riffs, and he wrote it. I don't think he gets enough credit as a uh, as a keyboard player and, and and songwriter. Like probably because like that's that's his image. Like he's mm. sort of up up the front in a in a white dinner jacket, you know, crooning or, or whatever yeah. he does. Uh, but um, he is a force to be reckoned with, and I wish he'd done more like this one. It was top ten here. Uh, you were asking. Uh, it made number nine. In the UK, well, so it's definitely a hit. Um, do, did it make any hit anywhere else though? Doesn't say on Wikipedia. I was just looking on Wikipedia. It's, I dare say it wasn't a hit in the states. It's one of those things that, like, the groove can sound fast or slow depending on how well you can hear it. <laughs> it's it's the weirdest damn thing. Like, if you have it like loud and in your face and say for example you know you're listening to it on vinyl um it just like it, it's heart attack material like it is like it's so uh like adrenalizing it's uh it's incredible but if you just have it kind of on the background it can almost sound slow and sluggish it's it's a really it's a very strange strange recording i know i know that i know i was listening to uh, a while back uh, a Brian Ferris, because I think of Brian Ferris, like you, like you were talking about his crooning side, the lounge, the lounge singer, as Pete might call him, after a certain period of time, uh, after Roxy Music sort of folded. Um, and I remember listening to a song 
And you, I don't know, you, you sort of pre, you, can, you don't want to, but you kind of prejudge stuff and you think, oh, this is going to be another one like that. And I heard once, it might have been this. I'm going to have to listen to it again now on the playlist when you put it out, I think. Because um, I remember liking it. It's, it's quite up-tempo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I just made the point that it, uh, it could go either way, depending on how closely you're listening to it. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought it was quite unusual. I didn't expect it from him for some reason. Maybe that's because I'm thinking it's going to be, uh, you know, him singing Jealous Guy or uh, Avalon or, or that will be later on, I know. But, uh, um, yeah, I did like his debut album, a bunch of covers, wasn't it? These Foolish Things. Um, the actual title track I really loved, and his covers of I've, I Hard Rain's Got a Fall, and then he covered all sorts of stuff of the smoke gets in your eyes. This is a sort of but, you yeah, know white suited well, cigarette smoking by the piano sort of. That's right. But song. then there was the late uh, late Everly Brothers hit, The Price of Love, which he did a Price of Love, great, yeah. And let's let's stick together was a good version too. Yeah, in seventy six. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, this is tomorrow. Oh, okay. Pete will love this uh, this uh, little uh, detail of uh, This Is Tomorrow. Uh, the bass player on the recording is John Wetton. Oh, is it? Well, there we go. Mr. W, the sadly departed Mr. W, whose wife appears on Twitter regularly and is absolutely lovely. So, uh, yeah, great bass player. Is that King Crimson? And yes. That's right. Yeah, King Crimson yeah. and yes. The drummer you mentioned is uh, Paul Thompson, who was the Roxy Music drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great drummer. Right then. I loved Roxy. Sorry. I I thought they were brilliant. But there we go. Definitely an art rocky sort of band, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Phil Phil Manzanera was a terrific guitarist, and uh, Brian Eno was an enigmatic genius. So, uh, no, I've got a lot of the Roxy stuff. Anyway, there we go. Right. What have you got next? My next one was uh, when I saw this, I thought, no, it can't be this year. But anyway, apparently it was. Um, so this was a very easy choice for me with my prog rock sensibilities. Um, fanfare for the Common Man, Emerson Layton Palmer. Yeah, which I agree. It was 77. Got one of those great drum introductions. Boom, 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 boom. It's just a, it's a, it's just a great piece of music. And, How's it going? Um, shut up. Um, <laughs> one, one day we'll be allowed to have music on here, but um, yeah, all right. So, can I play? Uh, so I can do uh, the entirety of Fanfare for the Common Man a cappella. No, I just think it's one of those, it's one of those things where people who don't know anything about prog, don't know anything about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, don't know anything about that whole musical genre, everybody knows it because it's been played at football matches, the Olympics. I mean, name a sporting event, Fanfare of the Common Man has been played. And interestingly, and here's a little historical footnote for you, at the um, at the, uh, the Zeppelin um, reunion in 2007, the Armour Ersigan concert, um, Fanfare for the Common Man was the opening thing which was played by an ensemble of various members of yes and the lp and the other people who were there it was kind of like the the thing to kick everything off which wow. was an exciting uh exciting additional part of what was a magnificent evening so um and you know 
when we're talking about great threesomes, and as I was on your show earlier today, um, Emerson, Leighton, Palmer have got to be there because they are three bona fide musical geniuses. And I know that a lot of their stuff would not be to everybody's taste with all of the keyboard noodling, but that's fine. People are allowed to be wrong. Um, but um, Fanfare for the Common Man is very accessible, I think, for music of its type. So, um, yeah, good single. The the man or woman in the street, when you think of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you think of Fanfare for the Common Man. Do you know where it got to in the chart? Uh, probably about number 62. Number two? Really? Well, there we go. Proof, proof that prog rock rocks. <laughs> and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but they um, ELP had had pretty much passed their prime by that point, hadn't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the album that came out in in the late eighties, the uh, in the uh, was it late seventy, early eighties? Was it called something Beach? It was a stinker, and they all looked like no, it was terrible. I lost interest in them after brain salad surgery, but um, yeah, so they were. Which, ironically, were. was the B side of Fanfare for the Common Man. It was brain salad surgery. Do you know what number, what kept it from the top? It was number two record. I'm just no. checking number one that week. Robin Gibb. I know you're, you're, <laughs> Robin Gibb. <laughs> it wasn't Robin Gibb. No, it was. Um, <laughs> and I think you've said you've had an album by this. For some reason, somebody must have bought it for you. That's what you said in a way. It was Hot Chocolate, So oh. You Win Again. I got uh, Hot Chocolate's Greatest Hits, and I don't know who bought it for me. I it went to the charity shop. I could no longer stand having it on the shelf. Um, I was, it was, I was, it was their only number one hit as well, and it stopped fan for the common man getting there. Well, that, well that's, that's even more reason to despise Hot Chocolate, frankly. <laughs> but anyway, didn't they have a number – didn't they have a hit in every single – Year of the 70s. Year yeah, of the, the 70s. Only, the only artist ever in the UK to have a hit single – Every year of the 70s, even, even the South London's finest status quo didn't manage that, that. And that, frankly, is a damning indictment of the British record-buying public, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of hot chocolate. <laughs> anyway, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Fan favourite Emerson, comment, Palmer, right. Austin, come on, let's have another one. Let's get it up to five each for you. Oh, okay. Um, right, well... Uh, I've I've talked uh, a little bit about this album, um, so may as well uh, talk more and dive in. At last, Fleetwood Mac rumors. Um, Never heard of it. it it's uh, it's always entertaining uh, reading the uh, the anecdotes of, of what went on, um, like uh, just you know Chrissy McVie announcing her uh, her breakup from her husband, the bass player, and starting to date the uh, the lighting tech. And uh, and then uh, Lindsay and Stevie uh, having a have you know like uh, like a uh, a series of you know fights in the studio like trading trading insults in, in between uh, vocal takes and uh, uh, you know singing singing like angels and then you know the dropping the like bombs at each other yeah yeah and, and then and then. Mick Fleetwood coming in was it day one or something? Uh, taking a phone call and discovering that uh, that that his his wife's having an affair with his best friend. Like wow! So it was all going um, well. It was, oh, yeah. it was it was all going yeah. down, as they say. Uh, and and so that that is threaded throughout the pretty much the whole album. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting that 
it is as big as it is. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that says. Pro- it should probably say something sobering about the, uh, like our state, uh, either as a society or as human beings. I'm not sure. But um, I really like Christine McVie's uh, contributions, uh, Songbird, and uh, she was one of the co-writers of Don't Stop but and oh daddy but uh you make loving fun is just a great song uh it's got uh the the clavinet left hand and the like Rhodes or Wurlitzer right hand so two different kind of electric keyboard sounds that really drive the song along um and and then the kind of is it a refrain? Is it a chorus? Not sure. It's got the kind of like the 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 floating kind of uh, background ah uh, kind of thing going on, and um, and the chimes. It's like it just it just sends you away. Um, it really is um, just See? pop pop songwriting at its best. And then and then the 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 refrain or the B section or whatever it is changes at the very end and becomes like the C section. It's the proper chorus where she introduces the title. It's like that kind of daring in, in songwriting. I, I don't think that happens anymore either. No daring and songwriting. You shouldn't put in the same sentence in the, in the most of the 21st century. Certainly not now. Yeah. Do you, one of the things I love about that song, and I mean, I've got rumors. It was one of, I think it was one of the very first things I bought on CD. Um, but um, again, there's so many great tracks on that album. But that particular song, don't you think that the guitar sound sounds very birds-like? It's got that jangly kind of almost birdsy. It, it sounds like it's been lifted into the song from a different era. Or it sounds like it's late sixties yeah. and has been yeah, dumped that, into the late seventies. Yeah, didn't uh, Lindsay Buckingham? Uh, he one of the guitars he played. Um, Oh, oh, I can't remember what it was like. Maybe a like a, a J two hundred, or I can't remember what it is. But uh, oh, hang on, no, it's uh, the um like Dobro, right? Dobro. Okay. He uh, he he played he played Dobro because um like uh like David Crosby or, or somebody played Dobro, and well that so- that makes sense if that if that's the case but it, it's definitely got that sound about it hasn't it which is what i yeah. think sets it apart as a song apart from the fact that as you say it's it's a really con- it's a well constructed pop rock song but um yeah. but it's so, uh, Lin- so lindsay's lindsay's guitar playing sensibilities are definitely informed by by those you know the, those yeah. you know 60s yeah. guys the yeah. buffalo springfield yeah, and, and birds out. and whatever yeah. yeah it does come out on that Buckingham played um i'm reading Buckingham played rhythm guitar on a Fender Strat. He did on that, but he like Dobro is like heavily featured in, for instance, uh, the Chain and um, oh, there's well, there's there's a couple of places that that are really distinctive where where he uses that instrument. And I, and I just used it an example of of where his influences are, but yeah, he yeah. didn't. Yeah, he certainly didn't use it there. No, but his influence is very much so. I think from there. Yeah, great. It's a really good album. The Chain, what a track! What a track! Brilliant. I could have, you know, I could have picked three or four others, right? Like massive, massive. But not all, but not all of them. But the Chain wasn't a single, was it? For example, it wasn't. Everybody, no, everybody knows it from Formula One, but it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So don't don't I, stop. Go your own way. Yeah. Um, and dreams, of course. Dreams. Yeah. I could have had go your own way in, to be honest, but I think it was actually released in December '76, so I didn't include it. I might well have included it in '76 uh, show that we did many months ago. I don't know. We did. You make loving fun, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Talking of making loving fun, Pete. <laughs> um, right. I'm uh, I'm going for the album. That's the single from the album, which was not part of the Berlin trilogy. Um, so uh, I'm going with Sound and Vision, David Bowie. My um, my second favourite Bowie album of them all um is um low is it low no station to station was it on station to station okay. yes no so the berlin trilogy was low and lodger and um and, and um heroes and station to station was the one that sat between um young americans and um and low so um but it's the one that um the cover art is one of the uh, is, is a take from uh the man who fell to earth so it's the one that was out at the same at the same time as the man who fell to earth came out, um, and uh, it, strangely, I picked up a copy of this at the Edelsborough Village Fair two weeks ago from a guy flogging vinyl on the green, um, and um, it's uh, it's every bit as good as I remember. TVC One Five is a great track, and Wild Is the Wind and Golden Years obviously was another was the other single off it. But um, but sound and vision is, um, is before you go get further into this hole. Sound and vision was on low. All right, it was on low. That's fine. I mean, all the other ones were on, uh, not on this. Yeah, no but, station. No, yeah, you're right. No, 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 sorry. Yeah, I think sound and vision. Yeah, I think yeah, you're so, getting your yeah, yeah that's getting right. your Berlins. I'm getting me Berlins in a muddle there. Getting me Berlins in a muddle. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, whatever. Sound and Vision. Great song. Love it to bits. Um, and um, I, I just, know. it's Bowie. I, I know you, I know you like early Bowie. Um, I do. I, but I have always liked this era Bowie. I thought he was more serious. Um, I thought he developed as a songwriter. He developed the sound. Um, it was much, it was more sophisticated. Maybe that's, I don't know. But, um, but I, I think it's a great single. So. Well, you can say that's why I didn't like. I don't like them so much. Well, you like status quo. They're not sophisticated, are they? That's not <laughs> that's criticism. But not. They ain't, that sophisticated, they are not. I'm um, a man of simple pleasures. Simple pleasures. <laughs> I do like Sanovision actually. I do like it's about a three minute introduction, isn't it? Before it. Yeah. Before it's it the, yeah. Well, that's one of the things I like about it. It's kind of weird because you think, well, what's happening here, and then suddenly it all comes in. I don't think it's quite three minutes, but it's. Um, I play. No, I must have played both albums fairly close to each other, anyway, um, which was hence the confusion. But uh, mm, just yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that it's that is it syncopated that do 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 do, do and, it, and it just kind of ticks along nicely. Mm. I love Bowie, so um, uh, it was a it was a very easy uh, very easy choice for me. And on backing vocals, do we know that? I might have mentioned singers. this before. Sorry, singers, singers, yeah. One particular singer, I'm thinking of uh, Tony Visconti's Mrs. Mary Hopkin. Mary Hopkin. There we go. Thought I'd get Mary Hopkin in. Those, you were, those, say, those, those, those my friend. 
those were the days, my friend. <laughs> I thought they'd never end. Um, okay. um, go on then, Austin. Let's keep going. We'll find okay. some room for mine in the, in a while. All right. Uh, great. Um, this uh, this one I don't want to talk too much about. I, I don't think. Um, because uh, I, I don't really have a close relationship with this band. Like uh, I, I've tried to dive into their albums and they just miss me. Uh, I, I like a couple of their songs, but this one, uh, it's another one where I wish they'd written a lot more like it. Barracuda by Heart. Uh, that's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like So to tie it back to the, the babies, uh, um, another one where they've aped the uh, the Led Zeppelin drum sound. That that is very very clear on the uh, on the recording. That, and maybe it's the style of player, the style of kit they were choosing, drum kit, uh, the way they were tuning the kits. I don't know what it is, but there is like this kind of slew of, of, of bands from the the late seventies that like started. And do you know what this song reminds me of? It reminds me of Led Zeppelin's Achilles' Last Stand. It's got yeah. that. Uh, it's got the gallop. Yeah, it has. And yeah. then it's got like in the in the verse, like uh, like there's a a five four kind of uh, time section where the the beat switches around. Um, if you listen carefully to what the kick and snare drum are doing, you hear that it it kind of breaks pattern. Um, yeah. And there's loads of hooks, like just. Like packed with guitar hooks, uh, riffs, whatever, like the, um, the, 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 the harmonic chimes and, you know, the use of the flanger. It's, yeah, great, great, like heavy rock um, songcraft. And damn, why didn't they do more like this? Well, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I that's really, all they had. No, I, I really like Heart. I really like Heart. And I, I think, I've, again, I've got a greatest hits album. Um, I've got quite a lot of their stuff downloaded on YouTube. I think Barracuda is their best, but I think for me, so I agree with you. But I think you know, Magic Man's a great song. Um, that that's the I, other one I like. And um, yeah, I I, I I I like them. And I think you know, she's a good guitarist. Anne Wilson's got a great. Is it which one, is it? Nancy is the guitarist and Anne's the singer. Yeah, she's got a great voice. No, I like them. They're uh, they're they're okay. They were the first really big female band weren't they you had you've got lots of female artists but they were they kind of were at the forefront um of the the kind of the, the, the female bands that then came along afterwards so yeah they did, they did go a bit fm fm friendly yeah, they did. They? yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. With their, yeah. Uh, alone and and these dreams and yeah. stuff well um, since we've both... like, bit like jefferson starship yeah well they they yeah. just kind of progressively went downhill didn't they through uh, over from great albums like white you know songs like white rabbit down to some of the awful that they produced at the end white but, rabbit, um, what a song that is not long enough though just really get moving and then stops doesn't it white yeah, rabbit. Yes. Well, um, since, um, since we both had we both had barracuda why doesn't why don't you do your next one austin then i'll do mine because we we've we've ticked off the same one together haven't we Okay, one thing. One thing about Barracuda. You talk about Led Zeppelin. Um, I was reading here that the riff for the song. Uh, I can't find a thing now. Oh yeah, uh, Nancy Wilson revealed the guitar riff for Barracuda 
was inspired by the riff from Nazareth's cover of Joni Mitchell's song, This Flight Tonight. Oh, that makes every sense in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. Are you being sarcastic? No, it's my a cappella guitar. Be impressed. All right. <laughs> Marvelous. Go on then, Austin. Well, I, I just think it's a, an awful coincidence that Achilles' Last Stand came out uh, on uh, on Led Zeppelin's presence the year before in 1976. Uh, whether whether Nancy Wilson admits it or not, <laughs> you old cynic. I, I'm, I'm with you, Austin. I'm with you. Couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> so. <laughs> Here's, here's my my next one's got a, a pretty funny um, uh, inspiration backstory. Uh, so Billy Joel, The Stranger, uh, another massive 1977 record, had uh, four or five singles off it. Um, I think the first one was Moving Out, and that's the one I'm going with because it also has a, a Zeppelin kind of inspired octave kind of riff thing going on. And Billy Joel has admitted to uh, to, to like a Led Zeppelin uh, predilection. Uh, he he uh, he loved Led Zeppelin's um, uh, music, so I think it crept in with the, those kind of little octave riffs that he did with this one. And um, there's a couple of other places that he did it. Um, oh yeah, Zanzibar has a very similar thing in the chorus um, of. Uh, of uh, 1978's 52nd Street. So anyway, moving out, uh, started off um, as like a tune that he couldn't get out of his head and then he decided to kind of write about um, guys from his hometown who uh, would kind of forego their dreams in, uh, in order to you know go along with you know, the expectations of, of family and community around them, whatever. And he brought it to the band and they said, yeah, that song's in your head for a reason. It's uh, Neil Sedaka's uh, Laughter in the Rain. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can just imagine. Uh, Anthony works at the grocery store. Like you, like you hear Laughter in the Rain. It's like a slower kind of lounge jazzy version. Of the yeah. So anyway, he, he was pretty embarrassed by that and went, okay, I've got to rock it up and, and just take it away from this territory. <laughs> <laughs> Good story. <laughs> yeah. yeah so sure. he he almost he almost worked with George Martin on this album. So uh, the previous year's Turnstiles, really? I think he he self produced and and had hits with New York State of Mind and Say Goodbye to Hollywood. And I think the record company finally gave him some more rope and said, "Okay, you can have George Martin or Phil Ramone." And uh, and George Martin lost. Uh, the uh, the the um, the the coin toss or whatever. Um, oh. that, wrong wrong analogy. Um, he he he, uh, he he lost because he wanted to use studio musicians rather than uh Billy's touring band, which uh had had always annoyed Billy that uh, the record label had insisted on studio musicians. Like he had great players in his band, and he and he wanted to to uh use them on his record. Uh, and and Phil and Phil Ramone uh, went out and saw him live somewhere, and uh, and like like got it, understood that there was this kind of chemistry between them, and, and obviously a lot of you know like mutual you know regard, and and so uh, George Martin actually 
later on uh like said to to joel yet yeah, you know you you were right to to use your band you know but i was wrong on that call he was probably busy producing america he probably was amongst others no doubt yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, while we're on the subject, while we're on the subject, briefly, I will say I have a song from The Stranger on my, on my list as well. Um, and I was actually was the first single release. Moving Out was the second from the album at the end of 77. The first one was a double Grammy Award winner, Record of the Year and Song of the Year. It was his first US top 10 single and his first UK top 20 hit. I mean, this was the album, his commercial breakthrough album, really, wouldn't you say, properly? Um, even Pete's got it now, I think. Haven't you, the no, I haven't. It's on, no, I haven't. Yes, it's on, on my list. On order. It's, it's on order. All right. Anyway, it's and this one me. is uh, Just The Way You Are. A bit schmaltzy, you might think, but I just love the song, covered by The Walrus of Love. Barry White, um, as he performed it live on the TV. I remember watching it. Probably the first time I saw him and got involved with his music uh, when he played, uh, yeah, just the way he introduced it, was saying this this song is not written by Barry White. And then he went on, he went on the old uh, keyboard. Just the way you are, anyway, Billy Joel. It's no one for me. Man of simple pleasures, me, as I said. Do you know what uh, what kind of keyboard it was? No. Okay. I mean, it's it's an electric keyboard. It it's that that's an uh, I think a, an interesting detail or a, or a valuable detail because I don't think anyone had really done anything like that um, before Billy Joel, where like it's just a really kind of soft electric piano sound carrying the whole song without anything that's kind of got like. Uh, more percussive or, or like sharper sounding like a guitar or whatever in the mix. It's like, it, it's, it's not that easy to pick out if like, if you don't really kind of um, uh, uh, have it kind of loud and in the foreground. Um, he had done something like that the previous year um, on turnstiles with James, which I think also was a single. And I'm not sure that that did anything. So I'm surprised nah. that he, he that he went for it again, but he did. And obviously he was right with that as well. Mighty, mighty fun song. It says Billy Joel, whether this means anything to you, lead vocals and Fender Rhodes. There we go, Fender Rhodes. Yeah, Fender Rhodes. And, yeah. and there's there's also a 10CC influence in it as I'm well. I'm Not In Love. Very reminiscent of I'm Not In Love, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Okay, exactly. Pete. Right, well, okay, so you knew I was going to choose this one. Uh, uh, Wondrous Stories, yes. Which many would uh, say. is it grammatically totally incorrect, because there's no such word as wondrous. No, it's true. Um, but nonetheless, that is what the single's called. Uh, was, yes, it their, was it their biggest hit single, or was that Owner of a Lonely Fart? <laughs> Uh, I would say it was their biggest hit, but I will I check that out. It was so while, while you while you talk about yes well, in a loving it, way. Well, it's off. Um, it's off. Number seven. It got to under a lonely heart. Got to number nine. Right. So it was the biggest. Um, I for me, it was their return to form. They'd um, they'd done uh, close to the edge in 
73 and or 72, whenever it was. Um, and then they had this whole raft of topographic oceans, which was terrible. And um, then Relayer, which was all right. Um, and they were both non Rick Wakeman had left after one was after um, topographic oceans um, and wasn't on Relayer. And he came back. And I think they just hit the ground running. And it's a, it's a brilliant album. It's got a range of, of very yes type songs on, including Awaken, which is probably my favorite thing, which isn't on the yes album. Um, and, um, and for whatever reason, they thought, yeah, I'll tell you what, let's put out a single. And I don't know why it captured the imagination of the record buying public, but it did. And, um, I saw them on that tour, obviously. Supported by Donovan, which was uh, an interesting uh, an interesting mixture. He was very good, um, and they were absolutely terrific. And um, it was of all the times I've seen them, apart from the thirty fifth anniversary tour, that was the best. So um, yeah, they were excellent, and uh, it's a good. I think it's it's just a good. It's a good pop rock song. You know, it's, um, it's that's why it did well. That's the problem. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It, it was just a damn. Fine song, wasn't it? That's it was why. Good, yeah, it was a good song, and it's got a good chorus, and you know, it's um, yeah, it's very accessible in a way that most of their stuff isn't. I very much appreciate. So there we go. Yeah. Wondrous stories. Uh, unless it was used by Levi's on an ad or something. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I doubt it somehow. Um, right, Austin, come on, let's have another one. We've got one, uh, two, three, right. three, left. Got three left. Is that right? Yeah. Three okay, left. Three yep. left. Oh, oh no, hang on. I've, no, four. I've got four left. Because you had 11 then. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. But I'd just okay. throw one in at the end. There's a, yeah, yeah. Part as, as a thrower. All right. Okay, um, well, I've got to think carefully now. Oh, careful. Uh, mm. Do you want me to no, throw one in while you're thinking? Um, I'll, I'll run with it. Um, Go on in. Meatloaf, you took the words right out of my mouth. So uh, this, uh, I bet you say that probably, to all the boys. Yeah, I reckon that was in the promo. Um, that there, there would have been a promo video for it. In fact, I remember there being a promo video for it because um, um, yeah, it's got like Meatloaf on on a stage, uh, looking very kind of overweight and sweaty uh, with uh, suspenders. And uh, and this um, the, the the female vocalist with black curly hair. I remember all that in the in the music video from from Countdown. So there there was definitely a promo video, and I reckon that spoken word intro, um, that bit of uh, theatrical campiness is uh, it, it was part of it, but it wasn't actually on the single itself. I know because no. I own a copy of the single. <laughs> right, can um, I, sorry, can I just jump in here? Because yeah. that, that is the one and only Meatloaf song I like. All the rest of his stuff I utterly okay. despise. But right. I'm fairly sure that I talked about this song in, in another podcast. And I thought it was the one from Singles from 1976. So is this one of these ones which lurched across the two years? Or I, I, think, it, I think probably 78 is probably... 78. Okay. It probably was released in the US in 77. Yeah. And yeah, it wasn't released until UK until March '78. Right. So maybe so, that's so why. I had it. So I had it. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I, I was just confused. 
Yeah. Terrific yeah. song. So there we go. Sometimes that's going to happen. A, a song yeah, will yeah. appear, uh, appear across two shows. Um, yeah. And since we've uh, we, we've clearly talked about it in the past, um, I might might leave it at that. We we know the song. We know the artist. Uh, it, Bat Out of Hell was uh, was one of those blockbuster albums from '77. Uh, the reasons included. which have always astounded me. <laughs> Do you know he ne- he never saw royalties? Uh, uh, I, I think until the 2000s or maybe ever like the um there's um uh, wh- whether it was kind of uh management skullduggery or record label skullduggery for for whatever reason um uh he and uh so it was really the the, the team was him Todd Rundgren and Jim Steinman and I I'm not sure any of them ever saw a cent from it even though it sold like they don't even know how much the record sold because the auditing was so um, opaque, but yeah, you know, it's estimated forty-five million or something. So you know they should have been multi-multi-millionaires. Didn't do badly, just goes did to it? show what a what a gangster cartel the record industry really is. Was and is, yeah, absolutely. The the music industry would be better without them. Definitely, if it was all right. Uh, Self-published. Um, right, one more from you, Pete, for the minute, and then I'll have a one or two thrown um, Okay, I've gone for a cover version of a song by the Trogs done by Santana. She's not there. Great. The Trogs? I, I, you don't mean the Trogs, do you? I don't mean the Trogs, whoever did it. The Zombies. <laughs> you, mean, you mean the Zombies, yeah. No, I don't mean the Zombies. Yeah. Zombies, Trogs, I mean, you know, all this, it's all the same. Yeah, similar. Sound, sound Ends Ends in yeah, well, anyway. sounds, vague, sounds vaguely like it should have been in Lord of the Rings. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I love the original, but the Santana version steps it up several, whatever it is you step up when you improve a song. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I love Santana's guitar sound. I think the singing on it's brilliant. I think the arrangement is brilliant. It's one of those songs which... It's another one of those ones which make you makes you happy, which is weird when you think about the lyrics. But it's just it's really up tempo, again pop rock song. I mean, it's it, what a lot of these have got in common is that they're rock, but they've got a pop sensibility about them. Um, and I think that you know this one ticks that box as well. I think it's certainly. I mean, Santana's done a lot of covers over the years, um, you know, on and off. Um, I think this is one of one of his best, if not the best. Um, Maybe Black Magic Woman, but um, yeah. So uh, when I saw that was this year, I thought, yeah, nice one. And I think this is off Festival, isn't it? Which I've got. Uh, Moonflower. Moonflower. Moonflower in 77, yeah. yeah. It helps when I have all the stats in front of me. It does. It, it, and when I have absolutely no stats whatsoever, just the no. names. But no. Anyway, yes. They um right. they had uh the following year they had um another cover which was um I think we talked about on the nineteen seventy eight show too. Um oh god, what was it? Um Well All Right. The, the yes, well all right. Yeah, 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 we did. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. another that's another terrific they they were really good at, at doing very different versions of covers. But I mean, part of it's just that set you can't listen to a piece of music that Santana plays on and not recognize santana instantly um and and i think that's you know that's what makes it i think that's what makes it interesting because you you say well that's definitely santana's sound what's he going to do with this and and i just think it it works brilliantly and you're right yeah that's that that's another great example from the following year and 
what, what did you mention this black magic woman of course another one Fleetwood yes. Mac song yeah I mentioned yeah. that earlier you yeah. did mention that okay obviously fell asleep at that point then Pete obviously I'm very bored um, I apologise no <laughs> right uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to put a couple in now one I think I think Austin at least will like this one uh, this artist from February of this year 1977 from the album What's Wrong With This Picture Austin is nodding his head it's Andrew Gold and it was another and it's Lonely Boy yeah a number 7 hit in the US I spent five months in the US chart there and it made number 11 here only 32 in Australia Although it made number 11 here, it's not his biggest hit in the UK. His biggest hit was Never Let Her Slip Away, which is another great song. But, I think but, not, as, but not as good as this one. Probably not. I just love the... Uh, Linda Ronstadt appears on this as well, backing yeah. vocals on the right, second does. verse, I believe. Um, I just love the, 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 the idea of this... Uh, well, presumably it's autobiographical. Uh, as a, a young boy, he had a, a little sister turned up a couple of years later. And, and the line I really love is that, well, he ran down the hall and he cried. How could his parents have lied when they said he was their only son? He thought he was their only one. Yeah. I just love that line. It's a good line. And it's, it's again, it's just a really well-constructed song. It's a, I think it's brilliant. very difficult. to I try to sing it and play the piano. Yes, I know. Don't it's the part of the part of the trouble is that uh like it's that rhythm uh, it, it's doom, off doom, yeah, it, doom, it's, doom. yeah yeah it's it, it's off beat and you have to listen to i think it, i think there's a cowbell that's on the beat um and oh, everything right. else is off um uh, oh, very similar very similar trick was done by america with uh woman tonight um woman like, tonight yeah but, i love yeah, that like that's the, the cowbell that. the cowbell is on the beat and and the rest of the the arrangement yeah, is, yeah, is is yeah, off and you you try, you try singing and playing "Carry On" by uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. That's an absolute sod because it's offbeat, horrible, great song, but horrible to play. I just can't. <laughs> I love to sing along, but I can't do that beat. Ding, 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 ding. When he's singing, and then, um, and then then it goes into then it goes into the the B section or pre-chorus or whatever it is, and then it goes like it goes on, yeah, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then back into the verse it switches off again. Same same thing happens with uh, with Woman Tonight. It's it, it's wild. It's it's clever. It's an interesting. It's an interesting. And, and again, device. you know, like guys guys were doing that back then, and then you know, so boring now. I just so. can't work out. Even like people like Elton John, I look at him watching that Glastonbury, and you see. You see someone playing the piano with his right hand doing something completely different to what his left hand's doing and also singing. Uh, it's incredible, incredible feat. I'm sure. Do you, do you play the piano? Uh, you play the keyboards, Austin, or just guitar? Badly. Um, just just guitar, and that's that's tricky enough. It is. It's kind of a, a whole brain thing. Yeah, like you, you kind of have to get your head out of the way and let your body take over. Yeah, yeah. I used to end up just playing the introductions to like, I don't know, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. I'll be playing. Mm-hmm. That intro, and then, yeah. Anyway, uh, another another one quickly, um, and I'm sure you'll both love this one. I don't know. Uh, it's a theme to a movie that came out this year, um, and it's the the only or the first Bond 
theme title of the song to not actually be the title of the film itself since Dr. No. And it is Carly Simon. And it is Nobody Does It Better. Yeah. Yeah. That was on my under list. I, I just I just love the tune. It's my second favourite Bond theme, as you probably well know. The other one is, of course, Live and Let Die, uh, which also coincidentally was the uh, the code name for uh, the government's COVID policy, I believe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good, well Colin. Well uh, well now, now you've got us banned from the BBC. It's never going to bloody happen now, is it? No, who would have thought, though? Hugh Edwards. I can um, say it now. No, don't go there. Um, don't, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going no, there. Not anyway, going it was American number two for three weeks and uh, stopped from the number one by Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life. Sounds dreadful. Um, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. She's another one that's banned from the list. No Robin yeah. Gibb and no Debbie Boone. <laughs> no Debbie. <laughs> the only Debbie going anywhere near any of our lists is, lists is Harry. And that's, uh, that's uh, good, dear, oh dear. Oh, my God. And Carly Simon was suggested to record it uh, because um, it, it, it sounded incredibly vain. Um, Oh, the, the the character obviously is incredibly vain, and yeah. in reference to you're so vain, yeah. I think that's how Carly Simon actually ended up getting the gig. Um, did she get not a nominated for Oscars? Oscars, Grammys, Golden Globes, etc. Uh, but I don't think it won anything from July '77. Nobody does it better. Over to you, Austin. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been Oscar. surprised if she got a uh, like a Grammy nomination because uh, all of her stuff was very well produced by Richard Perry, one of the. Uh, uh, 70s pop producers par excellence. He produced mm. uh, Ringo. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, and of uh, course, another another massive songwriter of, of the time. Two of them, in fact, I think wrote this song. I should look that up. Really, I should have prepared. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Hamlish and Carabao Sager, I think, wrote the song. Yeah, there, there you go. So, yep, um, yeah, talent loaded across the board. Uh, oh, my, want... go on, go on, go on. Tell me your next one. I was just going to throw one quickly in because I'm not going to say much more about it. I'm sure you'd expect me to pick this one. Um, it was a song that Rick Parfit heard in the States and he brought it back to Francis Rossi and said, you know what, we've got to record this one. And it was Fogarty's, Fogarty's sorry, John Fogarty's song, Rocking All Over oh, the World. Wow. And there you have it. Open Live Aid with it even. even. But it's become... Their, almost their signature tune, even though they didn't write it. It's one of those weird, weird things. But status quo, rocking all over the world, has got to be in my list for a top singles from 77. Yeah. As people and, say, I'm a man of simple pleasures. And, and probably doing um, Fogarty a big favour um, after mm. the all his years of being ripped off by Sol Zantz, um, and yeah. another uh, another. Uh, uh, tale of travesty from um, the, the the record industry's uh, and, um, gangster um, well, you know, roll call. He's got his songs um, back now, anyway. Yeah, but uh, like he, he he didn't record for years, I think, um, he, because uh, 
I think he was tied up in either legal battles, get, trying trying to get uh, control of his uh, music back or his royalties at least, um, or or and or disgust at the industry. There's there's that as well. Um, my next one, speaking of Americans, Ram Jam, Black Betty. Black now, Betty. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Lead Belly actually wrote this or just popularized it. Um, probably probably the latter. Uh, these things kind of just uh, went around. The songs were, were viral ideas that, uh, that kind of morphed and developed. Um, and Ram Jam stuck a, uh, a great... Um, a uh, bunch of um uh electric guitar riffs and uh and um really the the vocal melody is theirs it, it, everything except the, the the lyric and perhaps the pulse um is is theirs they they really brought uh, so much to it that uh, you could almost argue that they should have written their own song altogether and uh, and, and just uh, gone home with the, all of the royalties um because uh, they they c- contributed the lion's share of the ideas to it. Um, great stuff. Even like the single, like it's hard to find the single version. You had to kind of go to compilations on Spotify at least. Uh, it cuts out uh, a lot of the really guitar solo stuff. Well, and I, that, I, that, that, the guitar solo stuff, I'd ne- I, I've got the long version on yeah. a Planet Rock compilation and I'd yeah. never heard the long version before. And uh-huh. when I heard it, I thought, well, this guitar solo is completely mental. You know, it's just yeah. kind of, it just, it just goes off on one in the middle. And I'd never yeah. heard anything that wasn't the single version. So mm-hmm. um, interesting yeah. that you should say it. I, and I, I prefer the single version because it just kind of highlights the, um, the drum soloing kind of yeah. stuff. And I think that's, that's a really neat trick mm-hmm. for, a, for a song to do, to have kind of like drum solo breakdowns yeah. instead of guitar solos. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great song. Another name check for Manford Mann, who also recovered the song in 1968 on their Mighty Garvey album, even though it was called Big Betty. And I know it was, yeah, Black Betty was also covered by an Australian act, uh, what, early 2000s or something, who, frankly, I I don't even want to. Uh, say who they are um, because I, 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 don't, I don't really think they brought anything uh, to, to the table with it. Except it wasn't Carly Minogue and Jason Donovan, was it? Yeah, I think it was actually. They just kind of souped up the sound um, and so, yeah, probably uh, <laughs> like that. The, the, the biggest, the, the, the best judgment they exercised was in, in, in recognizing that it was a, it was a great tune. Um, but uh, <laughs> well I, I, think, I think they, I, well I think they, they unfairly stole some of Ram Jam's thunder. Um, yeah. But good on them backing for having, vocals, a, you know, having a hit with it. Vocals, backing vocals by Andy Gibb, no doubt. <laughs> Robin Gibb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Right, Black Betty, Ram Jam, and did did you know? You probably know all these things, uh, Austin. Bill Bartlett in Ram Jam. Did you know the band he was in before that? You'll have to enlighten me. I don't. don't one hit wonder. One hit wonder. Lemon Pipers, Green Tambourine. 
Okay, yeah, I would I not it. have got that in a million years. You know the song though, no? Yeah. We're no good in a pub. You know we were good yeah. in a pub quiz then. <laughs> yeah, no, I would have. Yeah, I would have failed the team on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you're forgiven. You're forgiven, Pete. What have you got next? I've got a song which, for reasons which I find incredibly annoying, um, has been banned by many radio stations. Um, but would be, uh, I suspect, Hugh Edwards' theme tune. Oh, I should say, it's not Judge Dredd or something like that. Is <laughs> no, no, oh, yeah, no, no <laughs> yes, all right. Well, that's a different story. No, the song is What's Your Name by Leonard Skinner, which was, ah, the, lead, which was the, lead, the lead single off um, Streets Street of Survivors. And um, it's, um, it's banned by many because uh, it seems to be encouraging underage sex. Which I, I find ridiculous because it's not. It's about getting drunk in a hotel room with a groupie of a dubious age. Um, but anyway, there we go. And it, but it's a great song. And not banned I, on CBW radio. No, I, one appreciates this, but there we go. Uncensored. Nothing. Nothing is. Um, but I, you know, you know, I'm a massive Skinner fan. I think if they lived, I think this was the album which would have sent them into the universe. Um, you know, and all for all the early great stuff, you know, the stuff that gets played all the time. I think this album is just it's perfect, you know, it, it's so well crafted. It's eight brilliant rock songs, and um, uh, and and the great pity is that the original lineup didn't get to tour it more than three shows. Um, I think. But I, I, I can't remember when I saw them for the first time at Leeds at the in the uni refectory that they premiered two of the songs off Street Survivors because the tour was the was the live album tour, um, and they definitely they definitely premiered um, what's that smell? Um, no, um, that smell. Um, and I'm, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that What's Your Name was the other one um, that they played. But it was just an instant an instant classic. You know, it's just. Everything about it, the guitar break in the middle, just it, it's perfect. It's a perfect, perfect rock song. So, uh, yeah, what's your name? And I don't care if it's been banned by everybody. It's a great song. Okay. So that means one more each, although, Pete, you've got an extra one to throw in. Well, I'm you? just I'm, I'm going to throw one in just because I have right. to. Yes, I've got Austin. one. Your, your last one, presumably? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> last one. Um Now, dilemma here because there are there are two songs that uh, that I could have gone with, and um, I'm not sure if I'm I'm picking the right one. Um, uh, same same arts, same album, um, Steve Miller Band, um, and and the obvious pick would be Jet Airliner, which was all over the rain radio, but yep. I think I, I like this other song more, and it was a single probably didn't do anywhere near as well but i just think it's um it, it's just a really fun tune and a great riff jungle love um and i think the uh, the guitar riff it must be open tuning or something it's it's diabolical it, it's really fast and interestingly uh it was the last song recorded for the sessions um uh steve miller was hassling uh his bass player who uh, was very much part of the the, the band and also uh, part of the you know songwriting kind of uh, brains trust, uh, Lonnie Turner, and said, 
if you want any more songs on this uh, on this record, you 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 better bring them now. We've got seven minutes, you know, left, and uh, I, I'm I'm ready to to go on vacation. Like I'm ready to to get on the plane. And uh, and Lonnie brought this uh, three inch tape reel uh, in, and it was this song that he'd written with um, a uh, a session guitarist. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Greg but, uh, Douglas. That's him. Uh, so they they wrote uh, this song together, and and that the whole thing was re- uh, recorded and, and in the can forty five minutes later. Uh, so, but, uh, like you have a have a listen to the song. Like it is, it, it's like it's a mean song, and uh, it's very well played and, and performed. And to think that you know forty five minutes previously it wasn't even you know on. The, uh, the 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 roster of ideas for the album. But so is which, this the album? Is this the album from which "Fly Like an Eagle" came? No, that's that that is "Fly Like an Eagle" uh, from nineteen seventy six. Right. This is "Book of Dreams." But, but "Fly Like an Eagle" was a single in nineteen seventy seven because that's on my list. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So "Jungle Love." Um, yeah. Uh, he 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 couldn't put a foot wrong like uh, after the the runaway success of the joker he he could basically yeah, yeah just record anything uh, i think uh, like rock and me was it rock and me um he he wrote simply because they were doing stadium tours and he 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 wanted something to play a stadium crowd uh, and, and not be completely embarrassed or i don't know what it was but uh he, he wrote it performed it you know like first song or something and and the crowd loved it so he uh, when he you was, look down when you look down on. the list of singles and some of the great albums, I think he's really underappreciated, Steve Miller. You know, if you said to somebody, you know, what's your top 20 favourite bands, even of our generation, Steve Miller's not going to be there. And yet when you look at his back catalogue, he wrote some brilliant stuff. Yeah. Terrific, terrific songwriter. Still yeah. performs Jungle Love Live, I think. I remember we saw him supporting Fogarty, funnily enough, uh, about three or four years ago, just before just before the first lockdown, I guess it was a bit. Uh, yeah, Jungle Love, he did, and Jet Airliner. I do like Jet Airliner too. Underappreciated, yeah, I agree. Chart-wise, uh, didn't really make inroads here. I mean, he had two big hits. The Joker wasn't even a hit when he might not have even been released here when it first came out, what, 73, 74 time, was it, I think? The Joker? It was 74. It was like he, he, Miller got back to like LA or San Francisco, I can't remember which one, and it was playing on four radio stations at once. It's a great song. It did finally get to number one, but not until 1990, though, here in the UK, when it was again, I think that would have been Levi's as well. I was going to say it was part of a, it, was a, it was an advert. It was an advertising campaign, yeah, I'm sure it was. The only other top. 10 hit he had. Well, Rock and Me was his debut. He only had four hits. Rock and Me was his first, number 11. The other one, do you remember to name that one? In 1982, a number two hit. Abracadabra? Oh, Abracadabra, yeah. Mm. I mean, great lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Abracadabra, I'm going to reach out and grab yeah. you. I mean, whoever made that one up, brilliant. Was not Boz Skaggs? He was in Steve Miller Band, was he? In the, in the very early days, in, in the sixties, yeah, yeah. yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, Pete, one more. Uh, right, so this one is uh, purportedly 
about the artist in question leaving his mega band and starting out on his own at the beginning of his solo career. And it is Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. which is, I, it, it's funny, it's Kizzy, my um, daughter. Who, number, uh, number. Na, uh, daughter three, child nine. Uh, okay. She uh, she graduates uh, this. She graduates this coming week, um, and uh, one of the songs that we uh, we share a common love for is uh, Salisbury Hill. I think it's given that it was his first solo single. Given that that it was off that you know that first album. Um, what a debut! I mean, what a debut album. Uh, again, very few tracks on there which you wouldn't say are, are great bits of songwriting. Um, but I think just as a, as a single, it just works at every level. It's soaring, it's um, it's emotive, it's got a great hook to it, you know, it, it's a really good tune, it's beautifully produced, um, and I think the lyrics are terrific. I, I just think it's it's a faultless single. It's written in 7-4? Seven, 7-4 four. Seven, four uh, time? Yeah. Da, da, oh, yeah. Da, one, two... Three, yes. Four, yeah, yeah, five, yeah. Six, dun, dun, seven. Dun, great. Dun. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's, but I mean, it's just, it's instantly recognizable. And again, it's one of those songs which crosses generations. You know, so Kizzy's generation knows Salisbury Hill because it's, I don't know whether it's been a, a theme to things or not. I don't know. But it's, um, it's just one of those, it's just a beautiful song. It's, it's a terrific single. So, and um, the, I didn't, the time, time signature to which Austin refers. Uh, has been described as giving the song a constant sense of struggle. Get that? Yeah, that's that's probably fair because <laughs> yeah, uh, like it's missing a beat that uh, that you always expect to be there. But it always um, it always sounds to me. I think maybe he used it because it's about a hill, and I, I, I it's that kind of walking up a hill. It's kind of it feels like it's the. the the pace is definitely a walking. Yes, pace. exactly. So it's it's that maybe we've been stumbling up a hill. I in my mind that's what it's about. But I mean, it's just it's beautifully produced. It's it's a wonderful. The whole album's beautifully produced, but it's it's a wonderful single. I'll just throw in, I'll just throw in the other one, which I couldn't no, I couldn't do this year without a sure. shout out for me man Tom Robinson two four six eight motorway motorway I mean, okay. classic uh, classic bit of stomp along rock. Um, from um, I had that down in your ten as well. Actually, I thought it would be, but I was close. Eleven. Well, no, well, but I, as I said to you, I didn't put these in any order. I could have done that first. Um, I, just, I just did him on the in the order I wrote them on. But I mean, I, I, it's a it's a it's a wonderful single, um, and absolutely, you know that the way it chugs along. It's just, it, I mean, I love Tom Robinson, and um, is it his finest hour? Probably, but uh, that whole uh, Power in the Darkness album is uh, terrific. And then the, you know, this was a single, wasn't it? Off it was, it. yeah. Oh, not off it, but it ran parallel with it. Very angry album. Power a very darkness. angry album, which is why I like it. Yeah, it's Up Against like the Wall. Angry. What a song that is. Yeah, Up Against the Wall. I nearly played that this morning on the radio, but I had to whip it out to play something else. Um, yeah. Anyway, quickly on. I'm surprised no one has mentioned this because I think this is one of the finest songs of the year. I think Austin mentioned the album as being one of the, I think, did he? No, no, he didn't mention it as being one of the blockbusters. It was you, Pete, that said it was a sixth one. And it wasn't on the list because the album came out in December 76. The album is Hotel California. The song is 
Hotel California. Yeah. And also New Kid in Town was then was off that as well, wasn't it? That was it. It was, but that was again released simultaneously, pretty much simultaneously with the album. So I think Hotel California and Life in the Fast Lane would have been in seventy seven. And I've gone for Hotel California. Right. I don't think there's much to say. I mean, everyone knows the song. It's on my list. I just thought you're going to choose it, so I didn't bother saying it. Bit of a Steely Dan reference in the song as well. Mm-hmm. With the, yeah. uh, they stab it yeah. with their Steely Knives. With their Steely Knives, yeah. Because, because, uh, because, be, because, yeah, the Steely Dan had written in everything. Is it everything, everything you did? Every, yeah, everything you everything did. You did yeah, uh, everything turn up you did. the Eagles. Turn up the Turn Eagles. Up the Eagles, the night birds are calling. That's the one. The, the, All right. The, yeah. Um, also, um, middle of the road-ish for me, I have put in a great guitar solo in this as well for me. A guy called Thomas McClary. Do you know him? No. The song is by the Commodores and it's easy. Yep. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's a great solo, would you not agree? <laughs> Fast guitar. Yeah, um, it, was, it was so so great that uh, when Faith No More covered the song uh, 15 years later, they, they aped the guitar solo note for note. Yeah, it was. It was exactly the same, wasn't it? But they, they did a, a decent version of it, but it was identical, really. Um, it sort of paved its way easy for a lot of his um, uh, ballady, uh, Three Times a Lady, still... The likes of that. Um, yeah, 92, Faith No More did it. And that was a big number one in Australia, Faith No More. Yeah. I believe. Um, right. What else have I got? Well, I have got this three to throw in. I did say about punk and new waves. So I'll do this very, very quickly. And I could not have a 1977 year of top singles, revolutionary singles, influential singles of the punk mould without picking God Save the Queen. (laughs) Released the week of the Queen's Silver Jubilee, God bless her, uh, banned from the BBC, IBA, uh, they both refused to play it. It got, it was originally called No Future. So it, it wasn't specifically aiming at the Queen. It's probably one of these misunderstood songs, a bit like Born in the USA. It's very sort of supposedly patri- patriotic song, but it isn't at all. This one, obviously, they're not that keen on the uh, the, the monarchy or, or any individual or establishment uh, commanding general obligation. Uh, it would have been, it was number one in everywhere. A bit like Please Please Me for the Beatles, their first big hit. It was number one everywhere, apart from the one that mattered, the BBC chart. And it was number one. Even the BBC have said in 2000 that it was the biggest selling single of that week, but they didn't want it. I think they excluded albums or singles sold in shops that also had a record label. I think they got around it that way. So Virgin, yeah. it was on the Virgin so, label. But, but, no, no, HMV. Yeah, Boots, Woolworths. It was yeah. banned from all of those places. Yeah. Even in the chart in Woolworths, they had the, when they had a list of the top twenty, it would it would have number two blank. It doesn't. It didn't even say the name of the song or the artist. It does make everyone? Sense. But everyone knew. <laughs> but everyone knew indeed. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, God Save the Queen, Sex Pistols. And on a similar vein, another one you'll hate, no doubt, both of you, uh, was, I think, one of the greatest punk records ever by The Clash. And it's actually from 77, it's called Complete Control. It was a big uh, s- a single, standalone single, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, released. It, w- it was released as a sort of a, uh, a, a fiery, it, they were having a bit of a go, basically, at record companies uh, and managers and, and the state of punk music itself, motivated by CBS. I mean, what do they expect from CBS, really, to be honest? But they released a Remote Control from their debut album, which, uh, without without um, alerting them beforehand, I don't know whether that's normally the case. I don't really know. Uh, and the managers, they were ridiculing, like Bernie Rhodes, their own, and Malcolm McLaren of the Sex Pistols, of course. Um, they arranged a meeting in the Ship Pub in Wardour Street. I don't know if you know it. Do you, uh, Pete? It's just in up London. from uh, where the marquee used to be. Oh, well, there you go. Um, and he said, Bernie Rhodes, that he wanted complete control. So uh, that made them laugh, basically. So, I, I, again, I'm not going to go on and on about it. But, I mean, some I of the don't lyrics hate the, the Clash. You know I don't hate the Clash. No, but you don't like the punk punk no, music. But the Sex Pistols were absolute tripe, and I absolutely hated everything they did. Plus, Johnny Rotten's a wanker. But um, the well, um, notwithstanding that, they uh, well, they only had one album to be fair. But he supports Arsenal, really? and he's a moron. Anyway, well, yeah, um, true. But now the Clash are all right. Clash did some uh, Clash did some good stuff, especially as they matured. And uh, now they can say they're, they're moaning about it. They, they said we are. They said we'd be artistically free when we signed that bit of paper. They meant, let's make a lot of money and worry about it later. <laughs> they said release remote control. We didn't want it on the label, um, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, complete control. Now, I could have had one or two other. Well, I could definitely have a few others. Um, a bit of a punk poet, then I'll just throw this one in. It's Ian Dury from New Boots and Panties, his debut album, Sweet Gene Vincent. wasn't a hit. It was his second single, after Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. It was a tribute, as you can well imagine, to the rock and roll singer, Gene Vincent. Um, it stayed in there, his set list until the very end when he passed away. Um, and he was a big fan of Gene Vincent from his early days, from the early days to his mid-teens. And it maybe he identified with, I don't know, he, denies, he denied it whether you identify, because Gene Vincent was uh, crippled and had to wear a leg brace from his the car accident in which Eddie Cochran died in, in 1960, which is another story which I won't bore you with. But, um, yeah, but he, he became a big fan. He didn't even know that Gene Vincent was crippled when he became a fan, so I don't think that was it. He read two bi- uh, biographies of Gene Vincent before coming up with all the lyrics. Um, bit of Blue Jean Baby of Gene Vincent fame, and also a sort of bastardization of pistol, uh, pistol packing mama when he says about you lay that pistol down. Anyway, sweet Gene Vincent and Ian Dury. That is my last one. I could have had Dave Edmonds, I Knew the Bride, because I love that as well. I thought you'd have watching the detectives because that was out this year as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's so many I could have had. Okay. Um, So quick question for you. Okay, because yeah, the other one, that, the one that I got down, um, 
calling occupants of interplanetary craft carpenters yeah the carpenters so we always go on about the magnificent guitar solo in goodbye to love but the guitar solo in calling occupants of interplanetary craft is almost as good and i think it's a terrific song and that was that was my number 12. and i think was it their last hit single i would have to check that I'm because I, 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 I don't remember them having anything beyond. They might have had minor hits. That was quite a big hit, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a big hit. Um, well, didn't it? Wasn't it part of a? Wasn't it done for World Contact Day or? Yes, the recognised anthem of World Contact Day. Yeah. It made number nine. They yeah. did have actually a couple of songs that might you might find on Best of Sweet Sweet uh, Sweet Sweet Smile, uh, very poppy song. And make believe it's your first time. They came out after. Don't know, uh, but they were. So it was they their weren't. last big. It was their last big hit. 40. Their last big yeah, hit. Definitely. The last big hit. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I think that's a terrific song, and I think the guitar solo on it's brilliant. So. I'm gonna just quickly run through. Have you got any other throw-ins at the end, there, Austin? Or yeah, just a couple of quick mentions. Um, I, I'm very proud of the fact that we uh, that we uh, neglected disco entirely. Even in spite of Saturday Night Fever, I could have thrown in Staying Alive, but I didn't. Um, there are um, a couple of uh, disco tunes uh, in my 45s collection. Um, uh, there's uh, Strawberry Letter 23 by the Brothers Johnson. Uh, and Shadow great, Dancing. Great. No. <laughs> no. Do you, do, you know why, do you know why I despise that song? That, that's, the, uh, that's the song that kept Baker Street from number one. Oh, one of those. Oh, it's a bit good. like Peter yeah, yeah. in Rhapsody, and I believe. And and, uh, and we managed to not antagonise um, Pete with uh, "We Will Rock You" or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, um, you know, what, but, uh, 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 no, I've also got "I Feel Love" by Donna Summer because that was a massive uh, yeah, disco. I hit. don't. I don't. The other one I've got is. Um, uh, I can't stand the rain uh, by Eruption featuring yeah. Precious Wilson, and I Precious have no Wilson. idea who either Eruption or Precious Wilson are, but it's that's a, it's a banger. Great, yeah, it's, great, it's, uh, it's great I remember track. the original and by Ann Peebles. Ann Peebles, yeah, seventy four time, 70, yeah, seventy two, seventy three. Around that time, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a a list uh, of but, but, but before before I finish, um, Go on. couple of couple of Aussie shout outs. Um, Go on, then. Uh, uh, Dragon put out Get That Jive uh, and a Little River Band, Help Is On Its Way, is from 1977. Little River mm-hmm. Band. Yeah. That's a band. I played one of their songs uh, the other day as well, funnily enough. Reminiscing. Oh, yep, yep. Great. Right, I always so, thought, I, am I always thought, without listening to the song, that, that was a cover of the, uh, the Buddy Holly song. Mm-hmm. What do I know? Um, Graham's given us, as usual, he doesn't give me a list of 10. He's given me 12, um, some of which we may have mentioned. Heroes, David Bowie. Um, Marquee Moon, television. Sound and Vision, which you had. I did. I Feel Loved on a Summer, which you just referred to. Trans Europe Express, Craftwork. Wow. Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel. Lust for Life, Iggy Pop. Iggy, yeah. Waiting in Vain, Bob Marley and the Wailers. Telephone Line, 
Big shout out ELO. Oh, and Complete Control, The Clash. Sweet Jean Vincent by Ian Dury as well. There's three there of mine. And finally, another punk one, Gary Gilmore's Eyes. Do you remember who that was by? Um, no, but it's a really good song. Gilmore's Eyes, yeah. The adverts. The adverts. And some, yeah. TV Smith was the front man. Right. Well, that was good. Good fun. It was. Had some good songs, some good singles. There were some good singles in sense. doesn't matter what the year is. We can find we can find 10 each easily, I think. Which, no, come year. on. We did one in the 80s, which was a nightmare. I ended up, I, I, no, I, did, I ended up having to resort to something by bloody Wasp. I mean, it was desperate. <laughs> what, like, uh, what, 1983, 84? No, it was, I, later. I, I, it was like 88 or something. It was uh, absolutely you saw the 90s. We did 94 once. Were you that keen on the 90s? You think we should we should do some we should we should pick a year from the 80s and uh, and like pick out examples of of why the 80s are so bad. Like just uh, you know like yeah, a negative. Yeah, that that yeah. might be quite good. We could just go the, this. It will be like our catastrophic Christmas songs. Only <laughs> it will be this is why the 80s was an absolute. Well, the late 80s. You know, it kind of it, it well, stayed. Didn't it into eighty to one eighty two? I I, I I I have a special special fondness for bad songs from nineteen eighty three. I eat cannibals by Toto Coelho. Toto Coelho, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. What about, well, make, make it happen, Colin? <laughs> yeah. What about John? Was it John Wayne is Big Leggy from that year as well? Do you remember that one by Hazy Fantasy? Oh, oh no, please! This all sound awful. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds, sounds sounds like we have a winner there. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, sounds make, like make we've, got a, we've got a subject. <laughs> make notes. You're not you're not with us next week, Pete. So we'll talk to Austin during the week, and we can sort out maybe a subject matter we can discuss next week. If that's right with you, Austin, yeah. uh, and you can maybe suggest anything that you want to discuss, and that I can go along with that too. But if you're going to do something ter- terrible from the eighties, save that for when I'm here. All right. Yeah, yeah, we'll, there's we'll, a lot to go at. <laughs> I have said this a few times recently, but I, I, 80s did sort of wash over me a little bit. But I think there are more songs in the I think there are more songs in the 90s that I think are better than stuff in the 80s. But there's more crap in the 90s than there were in the 80s. I think the, the 80s are quite sort of average. Yes. Yeah. Even Toto Coelho, you know, I don't hate it in the way that um that Austin might hate it. It's all right. Things, yeah, that the nineties things are really bad around ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, I wasn't keen. Wasn't keen. Uh, even a lot of the Britpop bands sort of changed their style a little bit. But you know, um, in the first place. So don't even start. That's it for this week. Nineteen seventy seven singles. Check. We have done it. Thank you very much, Pete. As per usual. My have pleasure. A good, um, uh, graduation is it next week? Yes, yeah. Kizzy's graduating on uh, Wednesday, so so you're not around. Off to off to Lancaster. And thank you very much, Austin, for joining us again. Always a pleasure, sir. And much pleasure better when you're mine. not sounding like a garlic. Actually, I know I joked earlier on, but, but it was quite amusing. We need we need some outtakes. We need the uh, director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> director's cut. That's- no, the director's cut will just be us effing and blinding. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can be tacked on you. Um, <laughs> right, thank you very much. <laughs> this podcast will be posted to usual places over the weekend. Uh, Anchor, 
Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, blah, 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 etc., etc., etc. And, of course, one day we will be, despite mentioning Hewitt earlier on, we will be on the BBC. BBC, okay. Hopefully, one day. Um, so, in the meantime, all I've got to say is good night from me. Good night from him. And good morning from me. And good morning to Austin. Thank you very much. Not off. <laughs>